Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting reading at verse 8. This is God's word, and because God is voracious, we know that we can trust his word completely. If you see the oppression of the poor and the violent perversion of justice and righteousness in a province, do not marvel at the matter, for a high official watches over a high official and higher officials are over them. Moreover, the profit of the land is for all, even the king is served from the field. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. So what profit have the owners except to see them with their eyes? The sleep of a labouring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun, riches kept for their owners to his hurt. But those riches perish through misfortune. When he begets a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labour, which he may carry away in his hand. And this also is a severe evil. Just exactly as he came, so shall he go. And what profit has he who has laboured for the wind? All his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labour in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him. For it is his heritage As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labour, this is the gift of God. For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honour, so that he lacks nothing for himself of all he desires, yet God does not give him power to eat of it, but a foreigner consumes it. This is vanity, and it is an evil affliction. If a man begets a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with goodness, nor indeed he has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than he, for it comes in vanity and departs in darkness, and its name is covered with darkness, though it has not seen the sun or known anything. This has more rest than that man, even if he lives a thousand years twice, but has not seen goodness. Do not all go to the one place? All the labour of a man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. For what more has the wise man than the fool? What does the poor man have? Who knows how to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Whatever one is, he has been named already. 
for it is known that he is man and cannot contend with him who is mightier than he. Since there are many things that increase vanity, how is man the better? For who knows what is good for man in life? All the days of his life, his vain life, which he, see, which he passes like a shadow. Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? Amen. We thank God for this reading from his truth. Well, we're going to pray now and ask God for his help to understand this passage. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we know that the Bible is your truth, that it speaks truth to us, and so we can trust it and rely upon it. And yet we confess today that sometimes the Bible is easy to understand and sometimes it's difficult. This is a passage which is difficult to understand. There's lots going on, lots of different sets of parables and uh, and proverbs and and little stories and, and we find it a little bit confusing. So we pray that you would help us today. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to understand what you are teaching us. May we hear the truth of our Lord Jesus in this passage today. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus says this, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And as we would expect from the Lord Jesus, this is an astute observation. This is a true saying of Jesus. If we want to know what we value in life, if we want to know where we place our worth, then it can very often be seen by looking to the places where we spend our money. We spend it on food and clothing and shelter because we value those things. We want to make sure that we and our families are well fed and are protected from the elements that's important to us. We spend our money on heating oil because we value warm homes and hot water. We spend our money on cars and fuel because we value our freedom. But outside of those things that we might call essential, where do you spend your money? If I was to take a look through your bank transfer, your your bank statement, what would it tell me about the things that you value in life, about the things that you treasure? I know mine would have a strong dent in the coffee column. I do like a cup of coffee and I'm learning about myself that it would have a dent in the shoes column as well. Today, as we turn once again to Ecclesiastes, the preacher's focus is on money. You'll remember that what the preacher is doing is examining the world. He's looking for the good life. Where can we find meaning? 
Where can we find satisfaction? Where can we find joy? And he looks around at the very many, many things in this world. And in every one of them, he sees vanity. He says they're meaningless. He tells us that finding meaning under the sun is like chasing the wind. It's a pointless exercise. And so in this passage that we have before us today, in in chapter 5 and chapter 6, his target is money. And he wants us to know, he wants to make sure that we know that money is not the answer to all of our problems. Money is not the answer to our problems. And let's face it, if we're honest, we do have this sense that money might be the answer to our problems. If only we had a little bit more, then we would be happy. We would be satisfied. We'd be content. But the preacher wants to say, money is not the answer to our problems. I want to break this down for us into three points. Three reasons that money is not the answer. Money does not satisfy. Money does not last. And money does not save. We'll take them one at a time. Money does not satisfy. The preacher begins in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And and do have your your Bible open in front of you. Verses 8 and 9 of chapter 5, he he gives us this wide-angle view. He, he takes a step back and, and he considers economic systems and theories. If we look at the economy of a whole country, whether it's capitalism like we have in our country or, or communism, which has been tried elsewhere throughout the last century or so, or any other system that lies in between those two, in all those, there's no success. Because the same thing tends to happen in every economic system. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. There's always seems to be someone above you to oppress you and take your money. We've seen this over the last couple of years, I think. We've just come through a a, a pandemic. Who was it that profited from the pandemic? The big Pharmaceutical companies made vast profits. There's a war in Ukraine which is affecting the energy prices and yet don't the oil and gas companies just make bigger and bigger profits year on year? We're told about this cost of living crisis but there always seems to be somebody somewhere making profit usually profiting off the discomfort of other people. And so money can't be the answer to the world's problems because there's always somebody out there who will twist and who will extort. They will use other people to make themselves richer. Money can't solve the world's problems. Our problems are actually deeper than that. And so the words of Paul to Timothy ring true. You know what Paul says to Timothy? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money's not the answer. Economic systems are not the answer. Maybe you're thinking, Jamie, I don't really care about that. 
All I know is that I would be better off if I was a little better off. Never mind about economic theory. What about me? What about my bank account? Well, that's where the preacher goes next. Verse 10 sums it up. Look at verse 10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. The preacher says no matter how much you have, you will not be satisfied. And he should know. He was an incredibly wealthy man. I'm not sure. I think I've shared this quote before. I can't quite remember. It's worth sharing again. A man called J.D. Rockefeller was the richest man in the world of his time. And when Rockefeller was asked how much money would be enough, he responded just a little bit more. No matter how much you have, you always want just a little bit more. We're never satisfied. Money does not satisfy. And you know this in your own heart, don't you? If you look into your own heart, Think about that thing that you have your eyes on at the minute, the the thing you really want to buy. It might be big, it might be small. There's this discontentment we feel about these things in our lives, isn't there? There are things that we know we want, but we also know we can't afford it. And so we're left feeling dissatisfied by that. But the alternative isn't any better because, well... I'm assuming we all know the guilt of buying something that we can't really afford. We feel guilty about that. and Maybe you, you try and hide it from your significant other. And there's really only two solutions to this problem because we're left discontent either way. Whether we buy it or whether we don't buy it, we're sort of in this uneasy state. So what are the solutions? Well, solution number one is to get more. To get more and more and more and more and more and more and keep going. Well, that's unrealistic and, of course, it's impossible. Or we could find a way to be content. We could find a way to be content with what we have. But if I'm honest, that seems unrealistic, doesn't it? It also seems impossible. Ecclesiastes says it's better to have very little and sleep contented with a full stomach than to lie awake at night thinking over how you can make more and more and more money. I think there's wisdom in that. What we see in our second point is that money does not last. You see the rich man lies awake. He lies awake because He knows that he's only one bad investment or he's only one heart attack away from losing everything. Look down at verses 13 to 15 of chapter 5. There is a severe evil which I have seen under the sun, riches kept for their owner to his hurt. Someone who has, has worked really hard, he's been hurt even by gaining these riches, but those riches perish through misfortune. He loses it all. A bad investment. Maybe in in those days it it was a ship getting attacked on the sea or something like that. 
He loses everything. When he, he has a son, there is nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb naked, he shall return there. The saying you can't take it with you is only too true. You can build up a massive fortune, but you can't take it with you. But whenever you depart from this scene of time, you can't take the money with you. Our Lord Jesus told a parable about this very subject. I like to think he'd been reading Ecclesiastes for his Bible reading that morning. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 and following. Jesus says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. And those thing, and whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he, says Jesus, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I'm sure many of you know this parable. Unlike other parables, its meaning is reasonably clear to us. None of us knows when our time will come. And we have to realise that all the money in the world will not keep us from death. But death will keep us from all the money that we have. Money does not last forever because we will all die someday. And what use is the money to us when we're gone? Money does not last. And so money is not the answer to our problems. Think about the prophet Job, a man who had much wealth and much possessions, yet it was all taken from him in an instant. And do you remember Job's reaction? It's one that gives us a healthy dose of reality. Maybe it's something we need to hear. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Could we say the same if we'd lost everything we own? Everything that we have in the world, and don't forget, very tragically, Job also lost all of his children. So what a perspective he has to be able to praise God, even after losing everything. The Bible says you came into the world naked and you will leave it naked. You came in with nothing and you will go out the same way. Money does not last. Paul picks up on this as he teaches Timothy. We read the last part of this passage earlier. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich 
fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That seems to be the beginning of a solution to our problem, doesn't it? This problem that we love money too much, the fact that money cannot satisfy and money does not last. But what if we could learn contentment? What if we could learn to be content in a godly way? Well, Paul says that would be a great gain. It seems that while money cannot solve all of the world's problems, there is actually a solution. It's found in our last point. Money does not save. You might be able to save money, but money cannot save you. And this comes back to the the central point of the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing under the sun that can bring the meaning and the satisfaction and the joy that we all crave in our lives. Maybe some of us thought it was money. But the Bible has clearly shown us today that money does not satisfy. And money does not last. Money cannot solve the problems of this world. Because money cannot address the issue of sin. And that's the hidden truth of our passage today, isn't it? It's, it's sort of weaved through there, but never really mentioned explicitly. Sin. Sin has the ability to take good things and to twist them. To twist them into something that is evil and wicked. It uses something like little slips of paper. Or plastic, I suppose now, isn't that what money is? uses those to manipulate your mind, to twist people into doing horrible, (coughs) foolish, and at times heinous things, awful things. And so the preacher of Ecclesiastes has given us good counsel today. Money does not solve our problems. But just like the food and the drink that the money can buy, money is a gift from God for those who have it. Verse 19 As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labour, this is the gift of God. It is a gift from God. But we should not ever mistake the gift for the giver. We shouldn't mistake the gift for the giver. The gift is good. It's given for our enjoyment while it lasts. But do not mistake the gift for the giver. God alone is the giver. And he alone can bring salvation to us. And oh, how we need it. We need salvation. Because we have been guilty of thinking that money is the solution to our problems. We have been guilty about worrying about money. Thinking like J.D. Rockefeller, just a little more. Or maybe Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. Homer says to Mr. Burns, you're the richest man I know. And Mr. Burns says, yes, but I'd trade it all for more. If 
we've been guilty of thinking that the new car, the new tractor, the new piece of land, the next holiday, the new shoes, new jewellery, whatever it is, if only we could afford it, then we'd be happy. Have we ever thought that? Those thoughts are sinful. Because they allow the gift from God to become an idol in the place of God. And they cannot save us. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can remove the sin from our hearts. And Jesus says you'd be far better off laying up treasures in heaven through love and good deeds than pouring your effort into the things of this world. Only Jesus can save us. And so perhaps the, the dissatisfaction, the, the unease that we feel with money is a good thing. Because maybe, maybe that dissatisfaction will push us to look other places. Just maybe it will cause us to gaze into this gaping hole of eternity that God has placed in our hearts. And we will realise that money does not touch the sides. And so we've been made to find satisfaction and meaning and joy in something else. In someone else. Maybe it will make us lift our eyes above the sun to see Jesus. The only one who does satisfy. The only one who does last. And the only one who can save us. When Christ is your treasure... Everything else falls into place. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. On Tuesday night at midweek, last uh, midweek, we were looking at verses being taken out of context. One that we didn't mention is Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And many young people, at least in my experience teaching in school, many young people seem to think that that means they don't need to study for an exam. They just trust Jesus and they'll pass. Of course, that's not what it means. And that's the problem with taking verses out of context. What does it mean I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Well, we've got to look at the letter of Philippians. Paul has told the church in Philippi about his struggles in prison. He's under Roman guard. He's in chains. And then at the start of chapter 3, he begins to tell them about all of the worldly qualifications he has. He is a Jew of high regard and high esteem. But he says all those things are rubbish to him. Paul uses a stronger word than rubbish. All those things are rubbish to him compared with knowing Jesus. All the worldly things that he could possibly have do not compare with being in Christ and having fellowship with him. And so he goes on then in chapter 4 to say, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. To abound and to suffer need. I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. And so in context, I can do all things is about Paul's realisation and his teaching us that he doesn't need wealth, he doesn't need prestige, he doesn't need all the things that money can buy, nor does he need to sleep in sackcloth and ashes. Don't hear me say that today. We, we don't need to deny ourselves the pleasure of food when it's on offer. Paul has learned this great secret, the secret of contentment. So whether he's hungry or full, whether he's abounding or suffering, he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. So let me finish here. Being a Christian is a wonderful thing. And we maybe forget that at times. Maybe we focus on the denial and the suffering for the sake of Christ. But being a Christian is a wonderful thing. Because in Jesus, there is satisfaction, there is meaning, there is joy. And money or nothing else in this world can buy it for us. It's free. It's an offer to you today. Some of you know this already. Some of you needed reminding today. And some of you, this is only clicking for the first time. Well, let me say whichever one of those you are, whichever category you fit into or somewhere in between, come to Jesus today. Have your sins forgiven. Receive his righteousness and bask in the contentment that he alone can offer you today and tomorrow and forever. Let me pray for us.